When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. Hello, Dolphin fans. Yes, that's right. We're back with yet another season of previews and reviews of your Miami Dolphins. Each week, we will discuss the upcoming game, analyzing the opponent, and then follow every game with a review show with all the highs and lows of the game. This season looks to be one of the most exciting seasons we have had in a good while, and we are really, truly excited to be there every step of the way. So please look for us and follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Please feel free to leave comments after each show, as we truly appreciate any feedback. Now let's kick off this week's show. And it's another FinFans podcast. This afternoon, I've got the Rigonis with me. How are you, Lewis? I'm doing great, Mike. I'm doing great. Uh, season's over, so <laughs> my blood pressure is way down. So I'm a happy camper. Chris, what how are you? you? I'm all right. I'm still a little bit disappointed with how the season ended, but given all the circumstances and how everything unfolded towards the end, I mean, I'm proud of the defense. The offense, not so much, but I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah, I imagine we will. Uh, a couple of articles in the sunset on what we wanted to talk about. And, of course, we want to talk about Hard Knocks. So let's start off with Hard Knocks. Okay. Lewis, you watched it. What were your thoughts? I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, as, as much as you can enjoy a loss. You know, they, they, they did a really good job of showing them preparing for Kansas City. I mean, I could have done without the Swift, um, you know, every time you turn around, she's oh, on the I mean, who gives a rat's ass about her dancing in the booth? I mean, I'd rather see our guys on the sideline or whatever. But yep. anyway, um, overall, you know, I thought it was a, a really good show. Um, you know, them showing them preparing, as I said, so on and so forth. The one negative that I, I didn't like. And I, I love the fact that these guys all get along and that they're, you know, that they have that type of environment down at the camp. But I got to tell you guys, um, you know, I, I really wish we would have saw them a little bit more serious at the practices and, yeah. and you know, yeah. the distractions and the talking and the goofing around. And I understand that, listen, it, it's a football game and everything. But I think they were kind of taking the light on them because they were all beat up. I, you know, Mike, I mean, I, I get, I get all that, but you know, Mahomes, I can guarantee you if they showed you them in Kansas city and the practices, I think they would have been a little bit more focused and a little bit more serious. And that, you know, that starts with McDaniel and it works its way down. You know, they're very loosey goosey and you know, the, the product that we saw on Sunday was them not being prepared. You know, it was as simple as that. So if there was a negative from the show, that's what I took from it. I wish that we would have saw a little bit more focus during the practices. Yeah, I got, I got the same impression when did I saw you? Yeah, yeah, Did I you? Did you? I'm, yeah, I'm glad. And I don't know how people out there feel about that as well. But, you know, I can assure you that the Kansas City practices were probably a little bit more serious than ours were. Or is Especially, what, you know, when you when you brought in all these players, you know, that, that haven't been practicing with you, you know, so, you know, on defense. Yeah. So. Well, it was more on the offensive side that I saw a lot of the goofing around. I didn't really see so much on the defensive yeah. side. But re- regardless of that, you know, like I said, I, I think I would have liked to have seen the, the practices, you know, the, at least the clips that they showed from the practices being a little bit more serious than what they were, you know, portraying them as, you know, as, as what was going on during the week, you know? So anyway, other than that though, I thought it was a, 
It was a good show. I loved Wilkins at the end, you know, addressing the other players and saying, you know, remember the feeling, you know, we've got to come back. You know, it starts in the off season, you know, be dedicated and uh, we'll pick it back up. And, you know, we definitely need to see him next year. He's a team leader and, you know, God, they got to do everything possible to to bring him back. I would imagine they will, right? I mean, you got yeah. you got you got to have him. Man. You know, there's five or six guys on that defense you got to have, and he's one of them. Yeah, I mean, I liked I liked the Hard Knocks episode. It just sucked because I feel like they captured so much good throughout the season, and it just gave you a different feeling. Like, man, this team's about to make a run, and we just you know we just got decimated at the end. But overall, I mean, I liked the Wilkins speech at the end. I definitely agree with you guys. Him and Siler are the anchors of that defense and it all starts in the middle with them. So, I mean, he's definitely somebody we got to have back. I also agree with the joking around stuff. I didn't like that as much. I mean, you got to be, I mean, when uh, they're in the auditorium and McDaniel's giving those speeches, I really like that. I yeah. like that aspect of it. But, I mean, like you guys said, as far as the practice, I mean, the offense couldn't have came out flatter. And my opinion is as soon as we found out that we were playing in KC, I would have liked to see the guys, especially the offensive guys out there, you know, practicing in that wind, seeing what it's going to look like in that cold. To me, it doesn't really make sense that you're going from 70 degree South Florida, 80 degree South Florida. You're flying out to KC the night before the game pretty much and doing a small walkthrough before playing in a game like that in the playoffs. You know, right. I mean, I think that it could have helped them prepare a little bit better because, I mean, Tua's swing passes were off. I mean, that interception he threw in the first quarter, he had Waddle open. That was off. I mean... It just didn't seem like he really knew what to expect with the winds and the conditions that we were playing in. Chris, and it two, definitely had two an has impact. been off for six weeks. Say it again? He's been off for six weeks. He has not been sharp. Yeah. I mean, I'd say the Jets game is probably the only game in the last month that he actually looked good. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's a whole nother topic. But I agree. I definitely agree. Last month of the season, him and, you know, the offense in general just didn't yep. just didn't look good. Yep. The other thing I enjoyed to an extent was the uh, McDaniel speech in the locker room as well. You know, he it seemed like he was coming to tears when um, when he was talking, and um, you know, the team did did do a lot of really really good things, but the potential that he talked about of where this team could have been and should have been is the thing that's very upsetting. You know, they were in a, they were in a great position and, um, you know, it's got to fall on him and I know it hurts. That and, Tennessee you know, lost, you know, that it was so costly. It, yeah. it, it was, there's no, there's no question about that, Mike, but you know, what you do is, you know, you, you come and you prepare, you know, thereafter, you know, they did a great job against the Jets and then they did beat Dallas. You know, that was a nip and tuck game. But then after that, you know, they fell flat again. You yep. know, um, you know, the offense was not doing a really good job against Dallas either in that game. You know, we kept stalling and yep. we kept we kept hitting 50 field yard goals. field goals. Yep. And um, 22 points for this type of offense, they're underachieving. And that's the point. You know, we, we've got a lot of talent around that football team. And um you know, I think in in himself, you know, he felt that he probably should have did things a little bit differently. And hopefully he does go in in the next year, which starts with, you know, getting somebody to call the plays during the course of the game. Because he's very, very good at, um, you know, putting putting plays in and incorporating some interesting things. But in regard to play calling in situations uh, he's failed over and over again over the last couple of years. So, you know, maybe getting an offensive coordinator in there that calls the plays for him may be a positive and, and, and uh, it may help this team going forward. Yeah. And uh, I was watching the press conference with McDaniel and Greer and they asked him that specific question, yep. like, yep. would he be willing to give up the play calling duties? And he said that nothing's off the table. Uh, me personally, I know our offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith, is getting some head coaching um, interviews. 
And if he does leave, I think Daryl Bevel would be a good person to elevate to that OC and to call the plays, especially if we're going with Tua again next year, which it looks like we are. I mean, he's got a good relationship with Tua at this point. He knows what his strengths are, and he has play calling experience. So, I mean, if we if he were to delegate those responsibilities, I'd like to see it be Daryl Bevel taking over. You what like, do you guys you think? You like him, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just makes the most sense if we're going to continue to run this same offense with this quarterback and with, you know, most of the guys coming back next year for the most part. What do you think, Mike? I don't know. I got to give it some thought. I really haven't thought about it. Yeah, I mean, it makes the most sense, you know, as Chris mentioned. You know, he knows Tua's weaknesses and he knows Tua's strengths, but, you know, that hasn't played necessarily into the play calling. You know, when when Tua struggles, you know, they expect them to bounce back and bounce back and bounce back. And, you know, Chris, you've talked about, you know, the – the um, rollouts, you know, against his body where he's throwing back across. I mean, that hasn't been an overly successful play. Um, the screen passes to, you know, the the jet sweeps in regard to uh, Tua and Waddle running them. Some of these play calling, some of the play calling, you got to be quite, you know, you got to question it. The fade patterns, three, four weeks in a row that failed, you know, over and over again when we were in the red zone. You know, there comes a point where, you know, you incorporate other things. And, um, you know, I, I like I like the thought, but, you know, as far as um, getting a little bit more imaginative and um, getting more people involved, uh, a lot left to be desired. And we could talk about that a little bit down the line in this show. But let's, you know, let's get to the other things we were going to talk about. Yeah, the coordinator's name was Frank Smith. What would you call him, Chris? Oh, Frank Smith. I said Arthur Smith. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Arthur Smith. <laughs> I think that's the owner of the uh, – man, I'm, never Yeah, mind. that's the owner of the Falcons, I no, think, that's isn't Arthur, it? <laughs> Arthur Blank. But yeah. I don't know. We're all over just, the, Wait a minute. Yeah, are you I, getting them mixed up with Mel Blank, the guy who used to be the <laughs> voice of Bugs Bunny? <laughs> That was the guy that uh, did the Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig voices on on Looney Tunes. Anyway, we're all over the place, but yeah, I get it. I understand who you. We 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 understood who you were talking about. Yeah, like um, you know, like like uh, McDaniel said, nothing should be off the table. So yes, absolutely, you have to listen. You know, we failed. You know, so you you have to build off of your failures and you have to make different decisions and maybe go in a different direction in certain ways. Um, you know, does the team need a complete overhaul? Absolutely not. But things do have to be tweaked. And if they're not, you know, this is two years in a row where, you know, the offense is kind of like went backwards late in the year. They should be getting better. Yeah. And instead they've gone backwards. And yeah. and again, this is the second season in a row it's happened in yep. big games. So. Eight and three and nine and three. And uh, oh, the bottom fell out. Wow. You know what I think is a big part of that as well? I mean, I know the offensive line for the most part held up pretty well. But they, they held I up feel really like well. we just – I mean, I, I don't feel the same though, Mike. I mean, a lot in these big games in the first half, like we were able to run the ball, but when – teams outside but when teams adjust and in the second half we try to run those same plays and it gets shut down we just need more physicality yeah we, we need more very... physicality yeah we need more physicality in the trenches and we need more physicality out of our backs I mean Mostert as good as he is and as much as we've seen him run guys over and get physical that's not his that's not his strength I would say He's definitely more of an outside guy and a speedback guy. And given his age, we don't want him, you know, inflicting too many hits. So it's like this offseason, I'd definitely like to see us beef up this offensive line and maybe get a running back like Derrick Henry, who I just saw says he wants to play for a Super Bowl team and he's still got a lot left in the tank. I mean, we just need that. We need physicality out of the tight end position. We need a big physical receiver. I mean, I know we're a finesse team, but you have to have kind of everything because in these games, when when teams are able to stop us from get hitting the edges and stopping us from catching balls down the field on these long, you know, what we saw a lot in the beginning of the season, you got to be able to get physical. 
All right, what we're going to do is we're going to take a step back for just a couple minutes, and we'll be right back. I mean, Chris, listen, I don't disagree with you, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what what my biggest issue is since you know we got on the subject. Um, you know, my my thing is this: is that you know you talked about bringing in a Derrick Henry. Listen, you have three capable running backs here. Okay, if you don't want to overuse Mostert, who by the way you know, was actually off for two weeks. I mean, the guy hasn't played it down. He should have been well-rested in this football game. <laughs> A-Chan, to me, is a Kamara-type guy. He's going to be your starter, I would bet. But but here's the thing, Mike. It, 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 we don't have to take bets right now on where he's going to wind up. It's, it's the here and now. A-Chan is a Kamara-type player. You have to use him as that. You don't just... You don't have a guy sitting on the sideline catching or touching the ball 11 times in a big game against Buffalo when the division is on the line. He's one of your most dynamic players, okay? He has to be used as such. Kamara in New Orleans when Peyton was there, Sean Peyton, they threw the ball to him. They ran the ball to him. There's no tomorrow. What are you saving it for? Exactly. And then you've got a guy named Jeff Wilson who came in at the end of a game and blew it up against Dallas. He's a strong runner inside. On third and two, you run the football with one of those guys. That's what they're not utilizing, guys. If you look around the NFL this past weekend and you looked at Tampa Bay and you looked at Green Bay and some of these teams that went out and won football games, a playoff football game, something that we haven't done in 23 years – they utilized other players. And we have players that are more than capable. The problem is the ball is not getting into their hands. The, the guys, the balls have to be spread around. When, when Tyreek Hill is as dynamic as he is, Mike Evans is dynamic. He got targeted four times in the Tampa, maybe five, six times in the Tampa game. Tyreek does not have to be targeted 13, 15 times a game to be successful in a football game. You need to score points. They need to get more diverse. They need to use a guy like A-Chan, as I mentioned, just like they use Kamara, or they used Kamara. He's dynamic. You You made your point. Yes. So... That is where the issue lies. The offensive line, with, with Tua throwing the football in less than three seconds, really doesn't affect our passing game or our running game. And I understand, Chris, we do have to get more physical. You've got guys like Waddle and Tyreek Hill that are just getting blown up. If they're on the field, you know you're passing the football. They, they don't block well. They're not big guys. They're just not. They're, they're, they're little guys, and this is the team that has been put on the field, and this is what we have to deal with. A-Chan is not a big guy, but this is what we have done. Austin Jackson's not a big physical tackle, but this is who we have, and this is what we have to work with. So, you know, we can go physical. You know, we can get we, – we do need a tight end. We do need a wide receiver that's big and physical. Um, you know, as far as running backs go, I'm fine with Wilson and Mostert, you know, uh, running power. They've, listen, Mostert scored a, a Dolphin record amount of touchdown runs. I mean, that doesn't come easy inside the five-yard line. It just doesn't. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen over the last five, six years us struggle to get the ball into the end zone. We would always be like, oh, my God. We're at the five-yard line. There's, there's no guarantee we're going to score at this point. This year, it was almost a gimme when we ran the football. So um, I do agree when with you. When we ran the football. <laughs> when we ran the football. Well, yeah, that's a whole other thing, too, is like we just completely abandoned the run. And then, like I said, even in games where, for instance, a couple of weeks ago against Buffalo, we had 100 yards rushing in the first half. In the second half, they made adjustments. They stopped those quick pitches and outside runs a couple times, and then we just completely went away from it. Yeah, so that's definitely that's definitely a factor too. When there's eight men in the box, we don't run very well. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I love all three of our backs, like you said, but the problem is, is all three of those guys. I mean, between A. Chan not being a big guy, I don't know how many hits he's going to be able to take. Mostert, I love, you know, but I mean, it's going to be 32 next year, and it's like. This is two years in a row now 
where Mostert's had pretty solid seasons last year more so than the year before. But at the end of the year, he's out, you know, and he's banged up going into the playoffs and stuff. And, like, that hurts, you know. It it does. It does. But you have capable guys behind them. Um, You know, my – listen, Chris, here's the thing. You can't have it both ways, right? You you had a guy here in Flores that was a physical type of guy that probably would have went a different avenue in regard to the offense. Like he would have liked to have, you know, big, strong tight ends and wide receivers that can block on running plays and, and be physical down the field. This is the offense that McDaniel wants, and this is the – we have a finesse-type offense. It's as simple as that, and as long as he's here – I don't see things changing all that much. I mean, we can go out and draft a big physical tight end, but the question is, is he going to use them? I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, Smythe is an afterthought in our offense and has been all year. So, you know, there's nothing that believe. and me and Mike and, and Daniel went through this all last year, you know, in regard to McDaniel and well, we're going to run the ball a lot this this week. We're going to do this a lot this week. Daniel would say, or and you know, and me and Mike would basically say, "Listen, what what would lead you to believe that we're going to do anything different when we haven't all year long?" And that was in fact the case. Until they have a different frame of mind and they approach things in a different way, I don't think we're going to see that, you know, in regard to them drafting players like that. Now, they could possibly go out and get some, you know, guys that are big and strong and, and, and agile on, across the offensive line. But, you know, I highly doubt it. I really do. You know, I just don't see them doing it. Before they do anything, they got to sign Hunt. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's definitely where it starts. Yeah. You know I mean, that's, that's an absolute necessity, Mike. There's no question about it. And then they got to make a decision on Connor Williams yep. as well. Yep. You know, the yeah. guy, I mean, are you going to find the better center in well, the draft? The, the question is, what do they think of Eichenberg? And I doubt they think um, well of him, but that's that's yeah. really the question. Right. I think Eichenberg can be serviceable as a guard, but as a center, he just, he's not. I mean, I'm, how did he grade out last week, Mike, against the know. Chiefs? Did, it yeah, wasn't good. Were, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It I don't think good. Austin Jackson graded out well either. And that's no, what I'm, that, that, that's kind of just what I'm saying. It's like, are these guys, can you give two or two or three seconds to get rid of the ball? And on some plays, are we able to get outside? But it's like, when it comes time to play in these physical teams, you have to get physical sometimes. And it's crazy because it's like, McDaniel comes from the Shanahan system. If you look at what Kyle Shanahan does George Kittle is such a big part of that offense. And it's not even just from him catching the ball because he's great at that. He's great at run after catch, but he's such a big piece blocking wise too. It's like right, that tight learned. end is so vital. And all McDaniel has to do is look over there and see how big, I mean, whenever, you know, they're stopping CMC or they're covering Debo and Ayuk on the outside, Kittle's wide open a lot of the time and it's like we need we need something like that well it, but it's tough to find tight ends like Kittle and, exactly and i mean he's an exception to the rule chris and and secondly you know san francisco i i know you're comparing but Debo samuel is is a physical big strong guy who runs the ball as much as he does catching the ball down the field so they have some elements that we by no means have um, and they have a good mixture, too, because right. McCaffrey's fast. You know, Ayuk's pretty fast. I mean, they have a good mixture, and that's what I'm saying. We need more balance. Right. We can still be a finesse team, but we still, when it's time to get physical and grind the ball out, we have to be able to do that, or I think it's just going to be a lot of the same Listen, when we McCaff- play these type of teams. You yes. Know? McCaffrey's a very small running back, right? He's a physical guy. He's a lot like A-Chan. If A-Chan can get physical, McCaffrey does not come off the field. So why, and again, you know, you have to question the coaching. Why is A-Chan touching the ball in a, in a game against Buffalo only 11 times? McCaffrey touch, touches the ball 20 to 30 times a game, and that's what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. They should be doing that. And that's the big question here is you have, you have guys that are more than capable. I didn't see Berrios drop a ball all season long. Cedric Wilson who we were very down upon coming into the season, made incredible catches all year. I don't remember him dropping any passes the whole year. 
I mean, and it goes on and on and on. I mean, you have guys that are capable of making plays. You have to put them into your offense. They have to be part of your game plan. And, you know, until we do that, it doesn't matter who we bring in, Chris. If it's the Tyreek Hill show and everybody else is an afterthought, then, then what's the purpose? I mean, me and Chris talked about this on the last show in regard to Waddle. He's a number one, he's top 10 number one draft pick, and he's an afterthought in this offense. He is. He is. I mean, it's like he just disappears for, for games at a time, four, five, six targets over the course of a game. I mean, no, he, he's got to be incorporated into your game plan a hell of a lot more than what he is on given, on given weeks. And I agree with that 100%. It's a problem in regard to the coaching. And, you know, again, you know, I don't know if it's Tua just looking too much at Tyreek or, you know, leaning on him way too much. I want to, it's like I told you before, if it continually happens and nobody's changing it, it's coaching. Yeah. 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 I think, it, think, I think so. it's a little bit of both too, I, I for do. sure. Because there's plenty of times where they show replays and Waddle's running wide open over the middle and Tua just doesn't see him for whatever reason. And that's something that he has to get a, a lot better at this offseason if he's going to continue to progress and take the next stride. I mean, his processing has to be like a Drew Brees. That, that was Drew Brees's one of his best attributes was the way he was able to process and either get the ball out quick or wait a second and just, you know, throw the ball deep. I mean, that's he has to get better at that. And you know what? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. And you know what, Mike? Listen, here's the thing. Okay, and and I get your point in regard to coaching. But when you send five receivers, you spread out the offense on a fourth and two and you have five receivers on the field running patterns. You can't tell me that's the coaching. Now, I don't agree with the play, but if you are throwing that play in, you got five guys running patterns. How do you not go to a guy that's man the man? That's your simplest. That's that's gonna create a situation where you're gonna be you're gonna make it a positive play. Two right? continually throws into double coverage. And my continually. That, and that to Chris's point, I think it's a little bit of both. I you know, I yes, it, it is the coaching, but then from there, if you're in four or five receivers spread out offenses. It's got to fall on two as well. He's got to find a guy that's man the man. Blame whoever you want. Mismatches. I don't care. It's just got to change. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the whole point of it. That's what we're talking about is that all of these things have to change. You know, and I think that it starts with the coaching and it ends with Tua because all these other guys are more than capable. So, yeah. So anyway, let's move on. We can run right into we talked a little bit about you got an article, Mike. Well, you got to take a break first. Yeah, let's do that. All right. So in the Sun Sentinel, there were a couple of articles. One of them I want to touch on here, and we'll see if we have time for the second one. It's basically a Dolphins report card, uh, and the grades are what you'd expect starting with coaching. That's the headline. Okay. And it was written by uh, Chris Perkins. Okay. So... Obviously, he's not happy with the collapse, and that's the first thing he touched on. How they went from nine and three to ending up finishing eleven and seven. So he says, you know, injuries were a factor, but uh, the three and four record in December and January is still inexcusable, and I think I have to agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah, you know, you you gotta win in December. You've gotta win in January. If you don't, you end up watching at home the playoffs. So mm-hmm. he says they were at number two in points per game at 29.2, but then they only averaged 16.1 points a game in the seven games against playoff teams. That helps explain why the Dolphins had a one and six record in those games. And, you know, that's the offense and that's, that's McDaniel's baby, right? Yep. So he's got to figure something out because what he's doing is, is not productive. Not at all. What was his grade, Mike? Huh? What, did, what did you give him as a grade? Well, I didn't get to that yet. Oh, okay. I thought you did. I'm sorry. Nope. Uh, the coaching grade is a D. 
He says, this is simple. Coach Mike McDaniel can't escape going 1-6 against playoff teams and 3-4 and four in December and January. You can't lose to the best teams on your schedule and at the most important time of the season and expect to get a good grade. Right. By the way, this is on the entire coaching staff, not just McDaniel, even though he's the one held most responsible here. And the bottom line is this team has too much talent for such a disappointing season, especially that costly Tennessee loss. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I can't argue with that at all. I think he's spot on. Then he goes and talks about Tua. And uh, he gave Tua a a C plus. Uh, You know, the entire quarterback group a C plus. But since Tua was the only one playing, (laughs) I'll attribute the game, you know, the grade to him. Well, Mike White threw a touchdown, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. He also (laughs) threw an interception. Yeah. (laughs) Big six. Big six. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Even worse. (laughs) All right, so uh, Tua had, you know, the league-leading uh, 4,624 passing yards, career-best 29 touchdowns, career-worst 14 interceptions, and a 101.1 passer rating, which was fifth in the league. Mm-hmm. So he had good numbers and earned his first Pro Bowl berth. Right. But he struggled in late-game situations, and that must improve. Among the hard conversations Miami must have this offseason is whether the offense puts too much on Tua's plate. Mm-hmm. And is there a way to lighten his load, such as the way Buffalo did for Josh Allen when they changed offensive coordinators? Right. Does Tua need a receiving tight end? Well, Chris thinks so. Would utilizing the slot receiver help more? You know, and, and, <laughs> yes. and these are good questions because these are obvious holes in our roster that uh, our GM put together. But, Mike, the, not to cut you off, but there's not a hole there. We have guys that can play the slot. They just don't utilize them. But go ahead. Well, I mean, we saw Cedric Wilson there. We we saw a bunch of guys there, but I didn't see them, you know, producing like you'd like them to produce. Well, because if you don't get targeted, Mike, it's very hard to produce. That's my whole point. You could put Waddle in the slot and put Wilson on the outside, and I think he'd be phenomenal. Maybe. That's what I was just about to say. Yeah, you see? I mean, so there, it, it's not a matter of the talent. It's the matter of just like you're talking about and what this guy's talking about. It's the coaching decision-making and, and not utilizing guys. So go ahead. In the uh, seven December and January games, Tua had eight touchdowns, five interceptions, and a 92.5 passer rating. He was sacked 14 times. Mm-hmm. Somebody shoot that over to uh, Matt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, one thing that's become apparent is Tua doesn't improvise very well. In other words, when the play goes pretty much as scheduled, he's fine, which is true. He's very good when the timing is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if the initial receivers aren't available or if he's under pressure, he doesn't do well. And, uh, you know, at a football game, that's going to happen from time to time. So that hurts us. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Yep. When you're playing against good football teams, yep. it's going to happen a lot. Yep. Especially if they know you're susceptible to it. Yes. I mean, you know, let me just touch on this a little bit, Mike. You know, Tua is a guy, and it, we, we, I know me and you both feel this way. You know, Chris maybe feels a little bit differently. Tua is the type of guy that has to have things in a really good, good situation for him in order for him to be successful. Um, he has to have the players around him. He has to have uh, things going the right way. Once they go south or play in general goes south, he's not able to do exactly what this guy says, improvise. And in today's NFL and with the athleticism of the defensive players, and that includes defensive linemen, you have to, you have to be able to do that. You have to. You, you see it in every other playoff to. game, Lewis. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. You have, to, you have to be able to do it. You have to, when things go south, you have to make plays on your own at times. And we talk about this over and over again. You watch Josh Allen do it. You watch Lamar Jackson do it, so on and so. You can go down the line. All these playoff quarterbacks. Absolutely. They make plays on their own. The quarterbacks have pressure on them. They find a way to get yardage out of a broken play over and over and over again. The, The best of the best do it. What people have to understand is it's not a coincidence because when they do improvise, they're extending the play. And when they extend the play, it gives the receiver time to get open. Right. Absolutely. They're big plays. They're they're very important plays in a football game. And if you don't have that aspect to your quarterback play, you better be really, really good at something else. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go there right now, but 
it go is ahead. what it is. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I gotcha. think he should be a, a key for him this offseason. I said pro, uh, processing and reading defenses should be at the top of that list. Another thing that should be at the top of that list is getting a little bit more agile. I mean, he put on some weight this offseason to be able to stay healthy, and he did that. So now I think this offseason he should work on a little bit, you know, trying to get a little bit faster, a little bit quicker. Exactly. I mean, you don't you don't just gain speed overnight. You know what I'm saying? But I think the way he tackles every offseason, if he puts that at the top of his list, I think he can get a little bit better at that. And, you know, hopefully next season we see him (laughs) when he's running. It's not looking like he's running in sand. You know, he's able to because we we have seen him make quite a few plays he had in those situations but he just, it just got to be consistent <laughs> and you know? he barely beat the guys from the sideline it was actually funny to watch yeah but uh i'm not going to criticize him for that i mean that's that's just the hand he's dealt i mean he that, that serious, is he is what he is a, that's a serious hip point. injury and and if you watch him he doesn't have quick hips he, he can't flip his hips fast at all no yeah not um, anymore that he, that you hit it on the head that hip injury and i've been saying this since we've seen him play throughout his nfl career i think it really limited his ability because before that injury i mean obviously it's college but when you watched him play i mean he moved so much quicker and when he took off he could run yeah. like i saw him take off and run and yeah. you know it kind of sucks but it is what it is and he's just kind of He's got to learn how to work with it. Yeah, exactly. He's he's a different quarterback. There's no question about it than what he was at Alabama. He was a young guy, faster, um, you know, like you mentioned, more agile, skinnier version of himself. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you have to beef up in the NFL to some extent. But, you know, the the thing about two is this, and then we can move on from him. You know, he he had, like Mike said, he's been dealt the hand that he has, you know, and and we've got to – understand that as fans that he does have limitations when you get him off his mark he has a really hard time being accurate guys i mean you know that that's a fact i mean if he moves up in the pocket or or has to move left or right the the arm strength isn't there to get the ball down the field as he's running away from pressure even when he steps up in the pocket we watched a, a perfect example of that in this kansas city game he got rushed a little bit he had Waddle wide open in the middle of the field, and he overthrew him by 10 yards. You know, he, he he's got to be sound with his feet. He's not yes. always sound with his feet. Yes. Yeah, he, he threw it off his back foot, yep. too. I didn't like that. He's yeah. And, you know, and, and in comparison, you know, speaking of throwing off your back foot, I watched Jordan Love in Green Bay do it six times against Dallas with guys right in his face and throw the ball 30 yards down the field on a dime. So, Tua is what he is, you know, and there's nothing we can do about it. We just have to understand it, that you don't expect much more out of him. I mean, this is going to be his what? His fifth season coming up? I mean, guys, there comes a point where Where he is what he is. He is what he is. And people have to understand that. So anyway. But but he can make subtle improvements. I mean, he's not going to make drastic improvement, but he can make subtle improvements. I I think absolutely. But I think that the improvements have to come from the coaching and them understanding and not putting, as you mentioned um, earlier in the show, not putting all this emphasis on him. Let him manage the game, much like they did Dallas, where they ran the ball a good amount of the time. They mixed in the pass. They were able to you know, execute field goals and score points because he's not going to be dynamic in these big games. He has to manage the game. You have to put other guys in a position to make plays for him. Guys like A-Chan and, and some that's, of the guys we talked about. That's why they spent all the money they spent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, absolutely. But you have to, you know, you can spend all the money you want, Mike, but if you have toys sitting on the shelf and you never yeah, take them I out know. of the package, what purpose do they serve? I know. Running back, C, uh, ignore the flashy numbers, pay attention to the reality. Miami's ground game was ineffective in games against playoff teams. Here's the, here are the flashy numbers. Miami finished number six in the league in rushing at 135 yards per game, while Maureen Mostert had a career-best 1,012 yards rushing and a franchise record 18 rushing touchdowns. Here's the reality. The ground game was irrelevant in the biggest games. Mostert, who averaged 67.5 yards a game, only had one rushing touchdown in his five games against playoff teams. He missed Buffalo and Baltimore games later in the season. 
He had two 100-yard rushing games, and neither was against the playoff team. In their seven losses, the Dolphins rushed for more than 100 yards five times. They averaged 114 yards per game rushing in their seven losses. The ground game wasn't a factor in the big games. That must change. And then he says, by the way, each of the top running backs, Mostert, A-Chain, and Wilson, Ahmed and Brooks, all missed time due to injury. That too must change. You know, just to touch on this before we move on, Mike, I understand his points. You know, he's looking at the final numbers, you know, yep. in the in these games against playoff teams. But, you know, what he doesn't incorporate into that is my argument would be is that they they just went away from the run quite a bit in a lot of those football games in the second half. And of course, the numbers are going to depreciate incredibly, much like they Let did against Buffalo. Let me ask you Buffalo. a question. How much do you think the injuries on the offensive line factored into them shutting down the running game? You know, when you see them being successful in one quarter and then not being, I mean, one half and then not being successful in a second half, I think it has a lot to do with uh, more so coaching. I mean, you can't run the ball three times, Mike. You can't. I've I've said this six times through this podcast. You can't have A-Chain touch the ball three times in a half. Period. That's it. End of story. I mean, the guy in the second half touched the ball, I believe, three times. And yep. it was it was not a blowout game. We lost by – we had a lead going into the fourth quarter. How right. does this guy not touch the football? Calm down, Lou. <laughs> you know, it just irks me, you know. So I understand the guy's point, but at the same token, you know, you can go re- reflect back to your first, you know, your first grade in regard to coaching. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Move I on think, Go ahead, Chris. Hold on. I, I was about to say, I mean, I think the offensive line injuries played a huge aspect of that because like I was saying earlier, it's like – in these first half of these games, you know, that we were running the ball good, teams make adjustments and they start playing, you know, defense a little bit different. Yeah, they bring in the that second sa- half, safety up a little bit. Yeah, and- they, they bring the safety up. Yeah. And then in the second half, they start shutting our running game down. And then he completely just goes away from it. So it, it definitely, it's still on the coaching as well. But we were a completely different team passing and rushing when we didn't have Connor Williams, when we didn't have Robert Hunt, when we didn't have Armstead, you know? And it's like, yeah, like I said, these guys weren't terrible to the point where they're two was getting sacked five times a game and they're running back. But there, how many games did we watch when Mostert's getting stuck at the line and like he has to fight for three or four yards? I mean, the offensive line was not great this year, and I'm sure we're going to get into that in a second. Well, there's no question about that, Chris. But when you run the ball three times in the second half of a football game, I wouldn't necessarily say that they completely shut us down. We we if you're not we shut ourselves down, we <laughs> shut ourselves down basically. And on top of that, there's nothing wrong with getting three or four yards if he's getting hit at the line of scrimmage, especially when you're inside the ten yard line and you're passing the ball three or four times, which we did on numerous occasions. I think the Tennessee game was lost over that fact, and and you can go back and look at that loss and and understand that. You know, that if had we maybe ran the ball inside the 10 yard line a couple of times and we were down there instead of settling for field goals, we would have won that football game. So, again, this 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 falls back on coaching. And yes, it, it, the offensive line in, in on any team, it's definitely going to hurt you with the injuries. But I don't think it was a glaring problem to where guys were getting hit five yards in the backfield. Only on those jet sweeps was that happening. <laughs> Go ahead. Tight end, C+. Durham Smythe had career best in receptions and yards. Rookie Jillian Hill showed promise. Overall, the tight ends did what was asked, which was to block. Uh, But the Dolphins didn't have a receiving touchdown by a tight end. Unbelievable. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's just an amazing – and Mike, me and you have talked about that the whole year. Since about week six. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, where are they in the red zone? You want to throw the ball? Fine. Play action, throw the ball to the tight end. Nobody's yep. even looking for him at this point in the season. Where was it in the playoff game? The game against Buffalo, non-existent in our in our um. You know, you in our remember Joe Rose and Bruce Hardy, right? Neither were great tight ends, but they always got touchdowns. They did, and and again, you know, I hate going back to coaching, but again, this falls on. I mean, to not have a tight end have a reset. I don't. Has that ever happened? 
I mean, I, I, in, in the history of the NFL to where a team did not have a tight end catch one single touchdown over the court, and, and we play more games now. Plus, right. we had a playoff game. Right. We had 19 games this year and did not have one, re- one well, touchdown reception. I'm not out blaming of that one, too, okay? That one's on the coaches. Yeah, absolutely. Again, and that's what I was, that, that was my point. This falls back on coaching. All right, guys, we're going to break for a few moments, and uh, we'll be right back. Wide receivers, A-, minus. Uh, Tyree Kill, league leading 1,799 yards and 13 touchdowns was outstanding. Only an injury against Tennessee slowed him down, and uh, that turned out to be significant because he wasn't the same after that. Right. Uh, Jalen Waddell, 1,014 yards receiving, four touchdowns, showed amazing toughness, but a late-season ankle injury got the best of him, too. Cedric Wilson, 22 receptions, 296 yards, three touchdowns, and Braxton Berrios, 27 receptions, 238 yards, and one touchdown. Had low-profile roles, but did their jobs for the most part. They did. When called upon. When called upon, which I don't think was often enough. Not at all. Offensive line. I know Chris is waiting for this one. (laughs) (laughs) He's on the edge of his seat for the last half hour. Go ahead. These guys did great work in the face of crippling injuries. The only reason their grade isn't higher is because, let's face it, the Dolphins were bullied on both sides of the line of scrimmage in late-season games against Buffalo, Baltimore, and Kansas City. Regardless, among left tackles, Taron Armstead and Kendall Lamb, uh, left guards Isaiah Wynn, Robert Jones, and Lester Cotton, Centers Connor Williams and Leon Eichenberg, right guard Robert Hunt, and right tackles Austin Jackson and Keon Smith were all strong as a unit. Miami's 31 sacks allowed were tied for fourth fewest in the league. Mm-hmm. All right. So we kind of talked about the offensive line earlier, so let's go to defensive line, which he gave a B plus. Yep. Christian Wilkins, career best nine sacks, and Zach Sealer, career best ten sacks, anchored a strong crew. But Such as the offensive line, they were bullied by Buffalo, Baltimore, and Kansas City late in the season. I don't know if I quite agree with that, but still it was a good year. I don't necessarily agree with that I don't think they were bullied. I mean, they won some, they lost some. That's what happens when you're playing good teams. Well, that's Mm -hmm. what happens when you're you're decimated on the outside. The inside guys did a phenomenal job, even against Kansas City. I mean, Pacheco got shut down after that early success. Yep. You know, he had, Mike, not to cut you off, but you know he had on that first drive of the game, I believe he had, or the first two drives of the game, he had half of his yardage for the whole game on that first drive or, yeah. that, or yeah. the first two drives. The, the next three and a half quarters, he basically ran for about 40 yards. So they, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that either. Go ahead. Chris? No, I mean, I agree with what you guys said. Okay. I mean, you're quiet, so I didn't know. <laughs> All <laughs> right, thinking. so the wheels are turning. He says, still, it was a good year. Raekwon Davis and Deshaun Hand had low key roles, but they did their jobs fairly well. Then he goes on to linebackers and pass rushers and gives them a C. Bradley Chubb, 11 sacks, and Jalen Phillips, six and a half sacks, both had injury shortened seasons, but they were a productive duo. Chubb had four and a half sacks in five games against playoff teams, and Phillips had two in two games. A major issue is availability, however. Phillips only played two of Miami's seven games against playoff opponents, and Chubb missed the late-season Buffalo and Kansas City games due to injury. Inside linebackers David Long, team-best 113 tackles, and Jerome Baker, 78 tackles, third on the team, had good seasons. But Baker missed five of the last six games due to injury. It's it's a it's a repetitive um, record there, right? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They just keep I mean, getting beaten up. <laughs> yeah, guys hurt. They miss this. They miss that. I mean, you know, listen. It was unfortunate, especially with Baker. I mean, you know, he came back. He was all jacked up, and that injury where he broke his wrist. I mean, it was just a freaky thing. Yeah. You know, same thing yeah. with Phillips. Without yeah. without even getting hit. And then, you know, you could sure, I felt so bad thing. for him because he was just starting to put it together. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just think about the potential, you know, and this has nothing to do with the offense, guys, but maybe, just maybe the defense could have carried us through some of these games. Sure. 
Um, you know, they didn't play horrible against Buffalo, giving up 14 points. They, they created three turnovers. But, you know, when, when you take away so many pieces, I mean, they, you know, I felt all along when you looked at them on paper, and I said this prior to the um, season even starting, that they would be a top five defense. When they were completely healthy, they were. A they were. Defense. They were. They yeah. were running right up the charts. I mean, they were just dominating teams, and you know, they were just learning. Yeah, Fangio's they went from fifteen defense. to five in a matter of a few weeks. Yeah, a few weeks, absolutely. Sure. And Mike, they moved up to fifteen from twenty second. Yep. Early on in the year. Yep. So they were just starting to grasp Fangio's system, and then all of a sudden, you know, you start taking pieces of the puzzle away. And it just changes how you can, you know, basically attack, you know, attack offenses. And it definitely had an effect on the football team as a whole. But, you know, our failures came on the opposite side of the field with the majority of the guys playing. I mean, you know, minus Connor Williams at the end of the season, we had everybody, you know, pretty Mm. much everybody. I mean, guys were in and out the whole year. Yeah, I mean, Waddle but, and Mostert, but, you know, again, Chris. Mostert, A-chain missed games. This we're is, shuffling on the offensive line almost every yeah, – I mean, we had 13 different, 13 different combinations, and it, and it Buffalo, was funny because watching – Yeah, I was just going to say that. Watching the Buffalo game the other night, I heard the announcer say, this offensive line has started – This is down. the same group from week one, and I was like, the wow. Same, so every down, that, basically. That, is, that yeah. is a possibility. But one thing real quick regarding the linebacker position group, I love our guys on the edge, and I even love um, how Baker and Long played this year. But I think one thing that's severely lacking from our defense is that dog in the middle. I mean, if you look at all these top – all the top defenses your, your dad right and I have now. I've been saying that for years. Yeah, I mean, I love Baker, dude, but Baker and Long to me are both better second middle linebackers. You talk you know, about behind. being a finesse team, and you want that linebacker to set a tone. Got to have a game changer there in the middle yep. that puts fear in the def or the offense yeah, running the ball, throwing over the middle. Exactly. We, that's that to me is our biggest weakness on the defense. Well. But, uh, you know, when you look down the middle of our defense, right? You got Wilkins and Siler in the, you know, up front, and then you got Baker and Long in the middle, and then behind them you have Elliott and Holland. You can say, you can say a little bit about Elliott and Holland as well. Is that well, you know we'll, you would we'll love talk to about have... them in a minute? Oh, Let's okay, that's right. We didn't get to. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that, Mike. Sorry yeah, to jump the gun there, buddy. Cornerback C. The uh, duo of Jalen Ramsey, uh, 22 tackles, three interceptions, and Xavier Howard, 45 tackles, one interception, only played six games together. And communication issues played the, plagued the entire unit, especially late in the season. Yeah. I would say especially whenever they were on the road. That's what I would say. It was a mm-hmm. little bit of both, Mike. Even yeah. at home, they had some pro- – you know, Dallas, they had – miscommunication yep. when cd Lamb, happens you know it happens but you, you know you were missing x man and and you were missing guys in the secondary yep. holland yep. missed a lot of time again it's it was an injury bug well you know when you have baker out and you have holland out at the same time yes those, those are their two signal callers on defense absolutely mm-hmm. and chubb you know yep. who's basically well, you know your guy across the defensive line to an extent right yep you're very Ramsey missed games early due to a knee injury, and Howard missed games late due to foot and hamstring injuries. In situations where either Ramsey or Howard was missing, opposing quarterbacks went to work against Cater Kohu. Oh, 63 tackles. And Eli Apple, 46 tackles, one interception. Kohu had a rough time in the slot and at times on the boundary because quarterbacks threw at him and away from Ramsey and Howard. Apple, who was benched early in the season, was targeted for the same reason because quarterbacks wanted to avoid Ramsey and Howard. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Oh, absolutely. I would do the same thing. Yep. Safeties. He gave them a C. Availability was an issue late in the season for starters Javon Holland, 74 tackles, fourth on the team, uh, one interception. And Deshaun Elliott, 82 tackles, second on the team, and one interception. Although backups Brandon Jones and Elijah Campbell did good work. But just as the cornerbacks were plagued by communication issues, so too were the safeties. They were costly coverage assignment busts late in the season, and also snapshots of the safeties taking bad angles on big yardage plays. Overall, the safety play wasn't good enough. Gotcha. Yeah. 
It wasn't. I, you know, I, I felt that they underachieved. I mean, Elliot and Holland are both athletic guys and yep. you just didn't see enough big interceptions in that secondary, yep. right? Enough Agreed. big plays out of them when they were healthy, you know, and, and that was the problem. I mean, guys, do you remember early in the year, you know, through six games or eight games, we had, we had one interception yep. through yeah. eight games. And I mean, I understand we were missing Ramsey, but my goodness. I mean, you know. It's one still the same football. Somebody's got to catch it. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know, somebody's got to make plays. And, I mean, you know, that 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 goes – actually, we had two because Ogba had one early in That's the year, right. right? I think That's Ogba right. had an yep. interception from the defensive line. He had as many as our whole secondary. So, you know, that, that was definitely an issue. And, um, you know, I, I agree with that. I mean, some of these guys just – you know that they, especially down the stretch. I mean, Ramsey, and um, you know our safeties. So those guys have to come up with plays. They have to make plays. Guys were running wide open in Baltimore. Buffalo had some big plays on us, and then of course, you know, Kansas City had some plays. They didn't have an awful lot, but Rasheed Rice just killed us that day. And you, you know, know I, th- I thought the defense played well in, in Kansas City, all things considered. Yeah, Rice had 150 yards, Mike, receiving. I mean, he had a lot of yardage. I mean, yeah, yeah well, I, we didn't know. have Howard, right? Yeah, I know. I understand. I think that, a lot of those plays, too, were when Mahomes had forever and a day to fucking drop back. And, yeah. you know, I mean, at some point, you can't cover the guys forever. I mean, I do remember Rasheed Rice catching a few passes when it's like Mahomes had five, six seconds yeah. to. And I remember Just him running. Scan a, the defense and see where, you know, the guys are open. And I remember him catching a touchdown pass, yeah. you know, running wide open right off the, right off of the bat. So it was yeah. a combination. Chris, oh, I, mean, yeah. I don't want to contradict what you're saying, but it was a combination of miscommunication back there. You saw guys looking at each other over and over again, and they're like, you know, you're supposed to. Ramsey even did it a few times. He was looking at Kohu or somebody, one of the safeties. If you told just, me, Lewis, that we were going to go into Kansas City and give up 26 points and our offense was going to do crap, I'd have been okay with that. Yep, agreed. You know, yeah. agreed. I mean, you know, I felt all along that the numbers, you know, against Buffalo and Kansas City had to be 28 or 24, yep. something yep. in that yep. avenue. And, um, you know, especially with the defense, and that's the most disappointing thing in this whole thing is that McDaniel understood, uh, you know, the, the issues on the defensive side. So the offensive side had to make up for that, and they just didn't do it. In either one of those, those last two games, they, did, they just didn't get the job done. And they were both, in my opinion, winnable football games, both of them. Both of them are winnable. They, both of those teams are beatable, um, and we, we just didn't get the job done. Special team C. Oh, we we had more, huh? Go ahead. Yep. Kicker Jason Sanders Sanders delivered A plus. What? A plus. Go ahead. For him? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I give him an A. Punter I'd give D. him an A too. Yep. Punter D. That's probably what I would what I would do as well. But anyway, uh, kicker Jason Sanders delivered the biggest win of the season with five field goals, including the game winner as time expired in that twenty two twenty victory over Dallas. Barrios did a nice job as a returner, and uh, punter Jake Bailey was good at times. Ugh. I don't know when he was good. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to was, find times he was where terrible, he was good. He was terrible, man. I said it from the first game yeah. that I saw him pump for us. I was just like, dude, Morstead was so good for us last year for the most part. He was. And was a good locker room guy, yeah. too. I mean, I think that was worth bringing him back alone. They should you have. Know? They should have. For sure. But hindsight, it's easy to see that. Overall, however, special teams were spotty. One well-regarded publication ranked the Dolphins special teams unit 31st in the league. Wow. (laughs) Their coverage unit struggled in two critical spots down the stretch, allowing a 96-yard punt return touchdown against Buffalo and a 78-yard kickoff return against Baltimore that led to a touchdown. (laughs) But – you know, again, Mike, can't you attribute that to all the injuries? You know, guys. Yeah, because it, it waters down your special teams. It does, and then you have the guys- coverage towards the end of the year. But I mean, as much I love Barrios too, but I, I told Lou and I, I said it to a couple other people throughout the season. It's like Barrios to me is not fast enough to return. Like he's fast, seemed, he's not elusive. 
Yeah, and it's like he he just runs a thousand miles an hour straight right ahead. into the middle, yep. straight straight yep. into where all the guys were, and yep. I feel like never He's got really. No wiggle. Yeah, he never really had like a like vision of what you know could possibly open up. I mean, he had a couple good returns throughout the season, but I mean, it just I just never understood it. I'm like, he just runs right into the pile every time, and is just hoping that he can slither through somehow and it just never happens. Well, you're just not going to put, you know, there's very few guys like Grant who we had here a few years ago. Yeah, they just destroyed special teams. He was a Pro Bowl. Yeah, he was a Pro Bowl player. But even like the Buffalo guy, Hardy, you know, that's the kind of guy you want back there. That's just one of the fastest guy on the field that, you know, if a hole opens up, he's gone. Well, we're not putting A-Chan back there. We're not putting Waddle back there. Me Me and Mike have had this argument. No, uh, a few times to discussion, where, not argument, discussion. Well, discussion <laughs> to where they're not they're not going to put any of those guys that they value on on returns. Tyreek, that shit, they could put Tyreek back there if they wanted to, but with all the speed we have, they're just not going to do it. They don't want to risk injury to any of these guys. And Barrios is a guy that they feel, you know, if he does get hurt, then you know it, it's not going to kill us on the offensive side. So. That's what's happened now in the NFL. You know, unless you have a guy that's just a flat out, you know, over the top Devin Hester type of guy or Grant, you know, they're not going to be on your roster. You know, you're going to have a guy that does an efficient job and that's the extent of it. You know, that's the NFL nowadays because, you, you know, I mean, think about it for a second, guys, with the rule changes, why would you, you know, have, you know, put a guy that, that returns kickoffs in a great manner on your roster when 90% of them go Aren't through the end anywhere. zone. Exactly. Right. You know, how many kickoff returns do you get over the course of the That's year? That's what I said. They've killed special teams. They really have. And it's going to get worse. Absolutely right, Mike. You're absolutely right. He gives their, the team a final grade of a C plus. He said the Dolphins, for the most part, beat bad teams and lost to good teams. Here's what that means. If you divide the NFL into thirds, the Dolphins are near the top of the second tier, perhaps somewhere around number 12 to 16 among 32 teams. You be the judge of whether that meets your expectations for the 2023 season. Uh, I would say negatory. Yeah, I would say I have to agree with you. Yeah, I mean, the expectations were to go deep into the playoffs. Uh, We were expecting at least a playoff win. Listen, coming into the season, guys, right, you know, we felt that – Kansas City would basically uh, be a much better team than what they were. They're the, they were the world champions. They weren't. Okay, Cleveland got hurt by their quarterback going down. Baltimore exceeded expectations, right? Buffalo. Buffalo uh, slept through the ten, first ten games, other than yeah. other than when they played us. And <laughs> well, Mike, you know, the, then they got hot. They, I mean, you know what? I I don't know if hot is is the is the right adjective. They were fortunate. Let, let's put it to you that way. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it to you that way because man, they squeaked by. They they were not hot against the Chargers and they were not hot against New England. I mean, they they squeaked through those two football games and they squeaked through. Yeah, we squeaked football. through the Cowboys game. A big deal. It happens. Yeah, but but um, but but I'm not saying the Dolphins were hot. That's that's the difference. You're saying they got hot. I wouldn't say they got hot. They were fortunate. They had a, they had a weak schedule. They played a Dolphin team that, you know, was kind of, you know, that we, 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 were, we were beat up on defense and the offense was horrible. And they were fortunate to come out of that. It, without that punt return or kick return, who knows what, why, you know, what happens in that yeah. game when it's all said and done. So they're hot. You know, they played a good game against Pittsburgh. But, you know, again, Pittsburgh was a team that, you know, was fortunate as well. I mean, they had a third string quarterback in. Without Watts, that kind of hurt them as well. So I would call them more fortunate than I would hot. I mean, they just have a horseshoe up their ass, Mike. You know, I don't want to give them any credit that they don't deserve. I really don't. I don't want to give them more. All right, take it back. No, I don't (laughs) want you to take it back. I mean, Mike, you're not the only person that said that. I've heard that uh, from commentators and ex-NFL players, so on and so forth. But I look at it you know, in a different way. I think that, you know, they, they've been fortunate. And, and, you know, playing at home against Kansas City this week, with the way Kansas City's been playing, you know, I'm not so sure that they're, they're not going to wind up going to Baltimore. I, I think they're going to wind up beating Kansas City. It's going to be an interesting game. It is. Mm-hmm. Yep. So 
All right, guys. Uh, I think that's going to do it. All right. Mike, keep that other article on hand. We'll come back on Friday and do another show. What do you say? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Well, then we'll see you next week, right? Well, yep. We'll hold it for next week. You got it. Yeah, it should be good. And that's definitely a topic I want to talk about. But, yep. uh, we'll keep that under, you know, under our hats until next week. Yeah. All right. So anyway, uh, thanks for joining me and thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. I, my reading's not so great. No, but, it was uh, great, Mike. You did a great job. Don't, uh, you know, don't, uh, you know, what, what uh, under, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't never, know. I, never mind. I, you guys aren't helping. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Don't underestimate. Don't sell yourself short, Mike. Yeah. Don't dare you go, Chris. Don't sell yourself <laughs> short, Mike. You did a great job. It was great reading. You had a little bit of energy today. It was good to see. <laughs> All right. We'll be back uh, next week. Until then, fins up, everybody. Fins up, man. Hey, don't let how it ended just ruin your whole offseason. All right. We'll be back. We'll be stronger and we'll be better. All right. Fins up. Fins up, Dolphins. All right, Finn fans, that's today's show. I want to thank the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network and the Sports Social podcast network. Check out these sites, guys. They've got articles and uh, podcasts, which I think you'll enjoy. All right, until next week, be well and take care. Network.